Hi, everybody. It's David Rhodes with Fire Engineering Books, and we are here for another episode of In the Books. I'm joined today by Scott Thompson. Scott entered the fire service as a volunteer in 1981 and became a career firefighter in 1986. Over the course of his career, he's worked in operations and training with multiple progressive Texas fire departments, including Plano, Arlington, Athens, Lake Cities, Louisville, and the Colony, where he's currently ser serving as chief of the department. As fire chief, he's been actively involved in some of the biggest economic development projects in the state. After starting his fire service career in 1986, he continues to teach at the Fire Department Instructors Conference and at the Texas A&M Fire School. Scott has delivered programs across the country and authored numerous articles on firefighter rescue and survival, suburban tactics, command and control, training firefighters and fire officers, mentoring organizational development, chosen organizational cultures, and leadership coaching. In 1985, he earned a bachelor's degree in emergency administration and disaster planning from North Texas State University. He is a certified public manager, Texas Master Firefighter, Instructor 3, Master and Hazardous Materials Technician. Scott, welcome to In the Books. Chief, thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be here and look forward to visiting with you. And the book is The Functional Fire Company. Functional Fire Bobby Company. Halton's, Bobby Halton's favorite book, right? I hope so. He, would always, he, he held that thing always. up every uh, day Wednesday. Always awesome. did. Always did. Awesome. And I loved it. He always got a good smile out of me and a laugh out of the gang. Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten how many different departments you were with over the years. So I got to ask, did you leave all of them voluntarily? I did. They had never, never been fired, um, hire, hireable back to all of them. But, you know, I've been chasing this, this dream of what I thought being a fireman should be like. And, uh, took me a while to find it. All great organizations, some great leaders, you know, work for Rick Lasky and some other big names. Yeah. But, uh, I, I just had this, 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 itch that I was trying to scratch and, and find the place that I wanted to call home. And I've been in the colony here now 15 years, the longest of any of my stops. So yeah. I guess this is what I was meant to meant to do and where I was meant to be. Now, where are you originally from? New York, 40 miles north of New York City, a little town called Croton-on-Hudson, right across the river from kind of West Point. Um, so yeah, my dad worked in the city. So I'm from there, came to Texas in 1976. And, uh, you know, I always thought I was going to be a New York City fireman, but as luck had it, we moved this way and, and everything worked out. Cool. So I guess we met, what, 25 years ago as hot instructors, different classes, but yep. started out in, in Indy when we first started the hot. Um, you guys were right down from right. us and uh, we, we visited yeah. every morning and every afternoon in a vacant apartment yeah. that we took over. And yeah, that's, that's it. At, at least 25 years. Yeah. 2002 is my first year at FDIC. Okay. So yeah, I think yeah. mine was like 90, 97 or yeah. 98. Yeah. Uh, now you were teaching with uh, Lasky and Salka. Is yep. that right? Yep. The Saving yeah. Our Own Get Out Alive program. Rick brought me in. I, when I became his training chief in 2002, when I went to work for Louisville, he brought me to FDIC and and that's that's when I started and so he introduced me to it and been with him ever since and I, and I like to say David I got to experience every a little bit of everything of FDIC the hot the mm -hmm. workshop the classroom the pipes and drums I did that for a couple of years playing so uh, that's right man it's been just a, a tremendous tremendous experience the years that that y'all have allowed me to come back so I I, I love that and was very happy man to I can't wait to get I can't wait to get back to the uh pipes and drums that uh i really didn't get to see a lot of that doing the hot and the logistics for years so but, uh, busy. last year 
I mean, those guys took me in and yeah. made me like an honor, honorary. I can't yeah. play them things. I, I might could beat on the drums a little bit. I used to play the drums. Well, that's what in, I did. I couldn't play anything time else. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, man, they took me right in and would wait on me to get somewhere, and I marched with them. And, I mean, what a phenomenal group. And wait till you see their challenge going this year. It is going to yeah. blow you away. Oh, um, and the, the Saving Our Own class, uh, um, ironically, uh, I remember one year uh, we actually had the medical sector started, and it was like about every 10 minutes the medical sector was going over to Saving Our Own because of a cut finger, <laughs> overheated or whatever. So uh, the instructors collectively renamed your guys' class Maiming Maybe. Our Own <laughs> instead yeah. of Saving Our Own. Yeah, I so. remember that. Yeah, it seemed like it was kind of a revolving door of, of, of minor first aid things going on. but. Yep. Um, do you think your experiences with those multiple departments had a big influence on the book? Absolutely. You know, it's a lot about culture and I got to experience a lot of cultures. And like I say, some, some big time fire service leaders back to Bill Peterson in Plano and Bill Strickland in Arlington and of course, Rick Lasky. And, uh, so yeah, that, those were all part of the journey and, and learned a little bit of, of something along the way that I've, I've kind of adopted and, and brought to the colony as I tried to put this thing together. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Every stop had value and every chief I worked for taught me something, you know, good or bad. Mm -hmm. So this book's been out a few years, but still, uh, still, you know, kicking it off the shelves and doing good. It's a popular book. Why did you decide to write this? Three reasons. Um, number one, I, I wanted to share exactly what we talked about. You know, not a lot of people get to work for a lot of organizations and have that exposure. And I, I wouldn't recommend it, but since I did it, I wanted to share that. And and something else I, I kind of talk about, David, since 1985, I've, I've traveled somewhere in this country and tried to seek out what I consider a high-performing fire company. I've been to all big cities. And I would always kind of pay attention and, and try to figure out what made them special, what made them above average, special operation companies, rescue squads, hazmat units. And so I, I wanted to share that story. So, so that was the primary motivator. A second, I only have a bachelor's degree. And in this day and age, you really have to have a master's degree. So I, I thought to myself, I could pay, you know, pay to go to university and read books and write papers and hang something on the wall, or I could do the same amount of work and have a book that hopefully will last a couple generations of the fire service. And then thirdly, I'm, I'm severely dyslexic. I've always struggled with dyslexia, dyslexia and, you know, I had great parents who, who helped me adjust, but you know, you learn to do things differently, to read and write and do all those crazy things. And so it was really the ultimate mental challenge. I, I wanted to write a book for a long time, but I never had the courage to jump into it because mm -hmm. I was afraid, you know, I, people judge right. you. And uh, I promised it to my wife uh, for one of her birthdays. I said, I'm, I'm going to write you a book. And when you do that, you're reminded every birthday or you're asked, where is the book? So, uh, Right. I finally had to uh, had to buckle down. So about nine years of, of hard research and three years of really digging in. But, yeah, that, that's the motivation behind it. Um, I, I've always enjoyed writing. I wrote my first article. Uh, Eddie Buchanan and I uh, co-authored an article in 2002, Fire Engineering. Um, it's all about attitude. And that was very well received. And Stu Grant and I wrote uh, wrote one shortly after that. So. I kind of kind of got the feel for it and the bug for it. So that's kind of kind of how it came about. It's awesome. Well, let's get into the book a little bit. Yeah. Tell us uh, what's the colony project. So 
when I got to the colony, we were called the hole in the donut. We had Plano and Frisco and all these well-funded departments around us. And we were one of the lower paid. Uh, we were borrowing equipment from Louisville and, and Pierce and other places. And, and so we, we really didn't have a true identity. But the fascinating thing was, and, and you know, we've talked about this over the years, we had very low turnover. And so we did this thing, this project, where we basically broke down the organization. We tore it apart um, in, 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 a, in a meeting room and, and said, let's look at our formal influences, rules, regulations, procedures, standards. Let's look at the informal influences, culture, philosophies, beliefs, theories, those kind of things, threats and opportunities, um, and then uh, our, our people. And, and so we just did a deep dive and we kind of started from scratch and we said, let's start putting the organization back together so that we understand why we do everything we do. And, and I believe in the hands of our company officers, our senior men or women, that's a very powerful leadership tool. If you can sit down and explain what the end game looks like so that people understand that what they're buying into will produce certain, it's a, it's a vision in a sense, it's a way to get to the vision. And so it's, it's kind of, become part of, of our of our soul. And and so that's really what it was, just an exercise to define why we're doing what we're doing. Because if we don't have that knowledge, you know, as a chief, I can do one stupid thing and mess that all up and go from a department where people want to work to, to one where people don't want to work. And you and I have both seen those organizations. And so it was very important that I understood what we were about as a new chief so that I didn't screw things up. And, and that's really what, what the Colony Project was about. And we just did the second one in 2023. We revisited it and uh, we looked at our, our core values, our purpose, our mission. Um, you know, what do we want to look like in the next 10 years? So it's really been a kind of a roadmap for us and, and kind of a, a discovery process to figure out what, what, what we're about and kind of what we want to be. Yeah, we used to run a similar exercise when I worked with uh, Scott Millsap at ESE training and we called it the mission to Mars. And I think he may have picked that up from Gladwell or one of the mm -hmm. leadership gurus, but we would, we would get in a room and we would plan a mission to Mars. What are, what are we going to do when we get there? And, and who are, who most important was, who are we taking and why? I love it. And then, and then that would transcend into what are we going to accomplish on earth here? you know, the next week with those people and those skill sets. And, and it made you kind of think, you know, okay, we've had this guy teaching, but is he really like what we're looking for? Yeah. And, you know, there would be adjustments, adjustments made in there. So that's, you understand that's yourself awesome. at a different level. And, and, and I think that's right. been part of, you know, we, we go after a very specific type of person. And I think through those exercises, that's helped us create our recruitment tools and how we advertise on mm -hmm. social media, our, our, our ads look a little different than everybody else's. And we really try to sell a culture because we really can't compete financially with some of the departments around us. So we had to find something else. And a lot of that came from the colony project, a, kind of right. a goofy name, but we had nothing better to call it. Right. Now it's good. And you've actually, uh, I mean, things economically have picked up there since you've been there. I know there's been a lot of growth in that area. So you had a lot of expansion in the last what, five years or so? Yeah, yeah, it really started in 2015, but it, it was five years ago where we really saw it coming out of the ground and opening it up. Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway invested in us and uh, bought 525 acres of land and turned it into a major entertainment district. And it's really mm -hmm. put us on the map, but it's, you know, it's caused a lot of challenge on in the infrastructure and public safety. 
And so it's it's been a really great adventure. And, and I'm you know, you mentioned in my bio, I, I was fortunate as a fire chief to get involved early on in some of those economic development projects, which a lot of chiefs don't don't get to see behind the curtain. And that was mm-hmm. hugely valuable for me. You know, all cities compete for people, talent and, and it, it, economic development projects. That's kind of what we compete against one another. And uh, so, yeah, it was a great, great education. And, and now we're kind of enjoying the benefits of that. We've, we've got a little bit of money and we're able to do some things and just open a couple of firehouses. So it's been a great experience. Yeah. I remember when I came out there, I have no idea what year it was, but uh, <laughs> that was the first, one of the first top golfs yep. in the country, I believe. Yep. We went to we top golf. You're right. To, and then they were building that just monstrosity development, like across the interstate that we rode through. And it yeah. was, how many acres is it? it was 425. Like, so yeah, it was probably 2014, 2015 or 16 yeah. around there. You came in and did our keynote uh, at our banquet. Yep. It's good stuff. Yeah. So you guys have expanded at least two stations since then. Yep. And were you up to five? Yep. When I got here, we were three and we just opened five. And that's as big as we'll get. We're only 18 square miles, but we're fairly dense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, this is one of my favorites. And uh, we even collaborated on an old hump day SOS. But what do you mean when you talk about don't neglect the culture? Well, you know, I'm just a huge believer in, to me, culture influences everything and everybody can influence the culture depending on where you are in the organization. And so as a fire chief, that's just kind of job one for me is, is that it's such a powerful thing. And when you break it down, culture is really the things that the organization values, assumptions, rituals, routines, those kind of deals, what we, what we value. And so by understanding that it, it kind of keeps the whole organization moving in a direction. Um, together jointly instead of, you know, you've heard these departments that say, well, we got five stations and three shifts and 15 different ways of doing things. Well, that, mm-hmm. that's heavily influenced by culture and performance standards and some of those things. So I just I just simply pay attention to the little things, you know, when morale issues pop up, if, if you neglect those and, and there's chiefs out there who will tell you that morale's not my problem. Well, I, I think it is. And I think I had one of those. <laughs> yeah, we all have. But, God but, rest his soul. He's no longer with oh, us, but he, uh, yeah. he, he would say that all the time. He's like, morale's not my problem. It's your problem. But if I'm the and there's some, there's okay. some truth to that. There's some truth. Depending some on how of you your look attitude at it. Yeah. Is your problem, but it's everybody's problem. And it is definitely an organizational it is. problem. But if I'm the person who decides where the money gets spent, what the priorities are, what policies get implemented and how people are recognized and, and disciplined, that's a huge morale influence. And so I just simply pay attention to the, to the attitude of the organization. And I think, you know, I wanted to make a point by manage the culture daily. And, and to a degree, I do that. We talk about it every morning in, in, in my office as we sit down and start the day and just look for signs and symptoms that, to make sure that we're doing everything we can as a leadership team to prevent us from drifting towards failure. And it, it's always a drift. It always starts and and you ignore things and you ignore things. And then pretty soon it becomes institutional and it's much more difficult to, to correct at that point. So it's just something that I'm passionate about. I didn't set out to be passionate about it. I just, when I realized how influential the culture can be, especially in a fire department organization, I just felt as the chief, it was well worth my time to invest in that and pay attention to it. And it's paid great dividends. 
Um, I, I, I think every chief should at least have that on the radar, but that's just my opinion. How do you think that uh, ties into the overall like mental wellness of the of the troops? Well, you know, we have challenges like everybody else, um, but but I think the organization understands what our priorities are. That minimizes anxiety. You know, we're talking about mm -hmm. psychological safety, mental health. Is is right. we try to be predictable. We try to be transparent. We tried to communicate the best we can on changes, and especially when they were happening um, rapidly. And, and I have a saying in my um, in my office, and it's it's permanently put on the whiteboard, and says, "Start with the end in mind, and why? If not this, what?" And that's how we approach everything. We we kind of we kind of define what we want to do, and we reverse engineer and identify the knowledge, skills, abilities, attitudes to get there. We answer the why because that's important. People want to know, mm -hmm. and then then. We ask the question, if not this, what? Is there a better way to do it? And uh, if there is, we'll talk about that. But that's kind of how it's pretty simple, but that's something that our culture values heavily. And, and I think it trickles down to the, the subcultures and the, the shifts and the battalions and the microcultures and the firehouse and the fire companies. Mm -hmm. And I guess when you when you reverse engineer like that, it answers all the questions so that at the end, you know, you don't have the, well, what about this? What about that? Yeah. It's like, you've kind of already mapped it out along the way. And, and if there is, if not this, then what, well, the, what's a better way to do it? And most people are like, well, it may not be the best way, but I can't think of a better way. <laughs> oh, at least we have that discussion. Right. And at least yeah, we empower right. our You're people. part of the process. Exactly. And I think, you know, we're not the CIA. There's little, not very much that we have to keep quiet other than personnel issues and some things like that. So, um, and they're going to get out anyway. Yeah, of course they are. Of course they are. <laughs> because whoever's, whoever's the victim is going to tell on themselves. Well, it is, the, but I, the, I just uh, think the culture the is just so hugely important that, 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 that leaders that don't recognize the influence of it, uh, they're either going to paint themselves in a corner and it's going to be hard to get out of, or they're missing just a tremendous leadership tool to help unite the organization. There's so many things pulling us apart. I think we need to focus right. on things like the mission and, and those that to, to bring us together and keep us focused. And that'll keep a lot of, a lot of problems from ever festering up just because of the trust level. So it's been a, it's been a while since I read the, read the book. Um, I, I refreshed myself with it here recently, <laughs> but my perspective on the book is it's a guide for a couple of things. One it's it kind of helps you find success as an individual. It kind of defines and, and helps you map out success as a fire company and as a department. Am I right on that? Yes. Yes. When, when I started writing this and I believe it was Diane shared this with me at an FDIC, she said, you know, Whenever you sit down to write, think about the people you're writing to. And I'm sure that's been told to many writers. Mm -hmm. And so initially I was I was the working title was Fire Service Success, the basics. And I wanted to try to come to some common grounds in the suburban fire service where fire chiefs and company officers could get on the same page so we could build that two way trust and we could start to think more alike than different. And so that's kind of how it started. Uh, and I couldn't make it work. And, and once I started focusing on the fire company, the majority of the organization, the men and women that fulfill the mission, the first impression of the organization, everything started to make sense. And and so that's kind of, um, you know, that's just kind of how it 
how it kind of came about and developed. And, but yes, it's, 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 and I wanted, I wanted to, um, present it as I was kind of talking to you and not at you and, mm-hmm. and having some discussion, but, but throwing a lot of, it's kind of the basics and essentials of the important stuff in any organization. You know, we're not going to get way deep in the weeds, but certainly give you enough to, to challenge you to think about some things and, and guide you towards some conclusions that have worked. But yeah, it's, it, that, I think you described it for, for, for what it is. You know, I don't know if I, I knew that all the time, but the end product, I would say, yeah, that's a fair description. Yep. So let's go over the qualities of a functional fire company and I'll hit you with each one. And you just talk about them fire ready. So, so, you know, if you think about it, the biggest investment in any fire department organization is, is fire rescue and fire suppression capability. No, there's, there's more money is not spent on anything uh, greater than that, right? Fire trucks, firefighters, structural equipment, thermal imagers, SCBAs. So return on investment is the ability to solve problems based on that investment. You know, if that's the greatest um, investment in our organization, then the more problems we can solve, the greater the return on that investment, if that makes sense. So that that was the first priority is is to be fire ready. That, that that's going to be our greatest challenge, and it's it's going to demand uh, our greatest amount of resources. So so that's that's priority one, and, and that's a philosophy thing for me. And a lot of people challenge me on that. Say, well, you know, EMS is a majority of what we do. Yeah, but in in my organization, in our culture, we want to be fire ready. Right. All right. Understands the job. There's two of them. There's two of them, the jobs. There, there, there's there's the, the the running the firehouse business, and then there's when we go out the door. And, and I think as leaders, um, those are both our responsibilities. And it, it's breaking down those things that we have to do when we go out on the emergency scene and, and consider those, but also the things that we have to do when we're in the firehouse to make sure people get paid and 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 they're covered, their benefits and all those. But those are two of our big responsibilities is managing the firehouse and managing the fire ground. Yep. Never gives up on a problem. <laughs> well, to me, you know, it's very hard to keep score in the fire service, but to me, a problem solves a win, a problem neglected or overlooked is a loss. It's really hard to go undefeated in this, this business, but, but in our little world, that's kind of how we keep score. If we can go out the door and solve a problem, that's a win. So let's let's remember that we're in the solving problem problem solving business, and and let's don't give up on it. Let's use all the resources available to us to solve that, and that's a win. And it's any problem. It's pretty much any problem we encounter. It doesn't have to be a fire no, or whatever. Any that's problem. what gives us the that's what gives us the the gravitas and the political power that we that we have as an organization. Whether it's changing a tire or taking a blood pressure or pre-planning the building and giving some tips. It's, uh, it's everything. And, you know, Pete Lund shared a, shared something with me a long time ago. Um, and I, I may include it a little bit in the keynote, but he told me that, you know, we have every opportunity to be firefighters wherever we are, the same opportunities he has in the South Bronx. It's just going to look a little different, but the key is looking for those opportunities to solve problems. They present themselves all the time, but if we're not looking for them, we're going to miss those. And, and those, those are valuable things to, uh, to contribute to the community. You actually got to look up from your phone and <laughs> yeah, look man, around and see that. what's going on. So you don't trip <laughs> over the curb. So you don't trip over the curb and become the problem. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Committed to duty. 
Yeah, and that goes back to the whole, you know, starting with the oath. You know, what is it exactly that 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 duty duty means? And 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 to me, duty is what sets us apart from everybody else on the planet, right? When we take an oath to be a firefighter, we're committing to a duty. And and so so it's defining what that looks like and and what that commitment is to say that that this is what we're 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 committed to do, we're prepared to do, we train to do it, we buy stuff to do it. And so just making sure that we define that and understand, you know, what that that responsibility is. And it, it's it's a huge responsibility, but I think we sometimes use that word um and and don't give it the the uh, recognition that it deserves. It's it almost become white noise or a punchline. And and I think that's uh that's the opposite of how we should look at that responsibility. That's a good Texas one for you. I had a farmer tell me the difference between being involved and committed. You can think about breakfast. Said the the chickens involved, but the pig he's committed. Is committed. <laughs> That's exactly right. Right. But what does duty mean? What does it mean to take an oath? Yeah, I mean, why do we take an oath? Yeah. They don't take they don't take a, an oath at the uh, cookie store no. at the mall. No. Um, you know, they may have a mission, they may have a mission and, and some values, but they don't stand up and take an oath. They don't raise the right hand and promise to a bigger B and that they're going to do something. Yeah. All right. Team oriented. Well, that that just goes back to say that this is a team event and, and that it can't be any one person. And as I lay it out in the book, I talk about above the line and below the line, above the line is functional, below the line is dysfunctional. When you come dis- become dysfunctional, you need to take action to become functional so bad things don't happen. But just to highlight the importance of team, and, and you know, most of our problems in our fire department anyway are caused by individual agendas. When somebody, you know, wants to sour the recipe with their, they don't think about the big picture. They don't think about mm-hmm. their so-called brothers and sisters. So just making sure that in our definition of a functional fire company, we include the importance of teamwork. And, and how our successes are going to come from that, just like any team activity, whether we're playing football, baseball or special operations, you know, uh, carrying out a military mission. Yeah. And the missions at the top of the list of the very priorities top. and the individuals at the very bottom of the list. Well, that's the there's a lot be. of stuff in between. Yeah. That's the way it should be, right? Yep, absolutely. And it all plays um, on one another. And when we take take the oath, they, that, that sets us up for that. It's, it's all kind of progressive. Right. Um, insightful. <laughs> that that I put in there to challenge us to look at the next level, to, to have a, a deeper level of understanding, understand the why. Let, let's let's not just gloss over the, 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 the low hanging fruit, if you will, or, or focus on that, I guess is a better word. But but being insightful and that's going to in, tie into inspiring and, and understand the why and understand the things that we do. And when we have that understanding, you know, once you understand the why, you become a problem solver and, and you can function at a at kind of a different level. So it's the challenge to, to let's let's read the books. Let's listen to the podcast. Let's let's do more than average. Let's let's be better than that. Do you. Uh, you kind of encourage folks to experiment with stuff in a way like, uh, you know, somebody comes back and says, Hey, I think this will, uh, this would be a better way to do this. And you're like, well, go try it and see yes. what we have. And then, and then we come together to, 
talk about it and maybe change the policy or change the tactic or whatever. How does that work? In your yes, absolutely. Uh, we empower everybody and, and we bring in a lot of new members, like I said, from other departments and we want to hear what they say. But with that said, we're very careful on who our people are exposed to. We try to vet the places where our people go because you know as well as I do, there's there's a lot of solid information out there and then there's some stuff that not so much. So yes, mm -hmm. we are always open to new ideas, but we're very cautious as to who is influencing our people. There's a lot of tactics that work absolutely perfect in a Connex burn building. Yeah, yeah, right. And and the same thing in leadership. You know, you have a lot of people that are teaching leadership that are not successful leaders back in their own department. And I know that for a fact because we vet them. You know, we want to know, are you preaching something that you just made up, dreamed about, read out of a book and changing it? Or have you actually put it into practice? Are you a practitioner? And so we look at those kind of things. But we're always open. To, and, and we do some pretty... You know, we do some pretty um, um, untraditional things for a suburban department. So I think that that is proof that we will try new things. We're not locked into any way. We 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 very rarely say we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We 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 want to dig in and do the work and reinvent it and make sure it's the best thing for the colony, Texas. Mm -hmm. All right, um, operationally prepared. So that's a standard. Uh, that we have. And, you know, I believe, and I, I don't, I'm not unique in this, that, that our success is starting a firehouse. And so we have a standard mentally, physically, mechanically, and procedurally prepared. And, and that's kind of the priority for the day. Um, you know, I would like to think if you came into one of our firehouses and asked a member of our organization, you know, what's number one on, on your plate, it's, it says to be fire ready. And we're going to do that by being mentally, physically, mechanically, and procedurally prepared. And the procedure part is our FOG 510, which is our fire operation guideline. That's how we deploy on all types of fires. And so that's just, just you know, emphasizing the importance of preparedness and functionality. Yep. This next one is a tough one for a lot of people to get past, but it's uh, negates negativity. So I've changed that since the book. I changed it. Okay. And it's now negotiates negativity. Negotiates. Okay. Because, you know, negate, when I, what I was trying to, to, when I was writing the book, it's, you know, negativity exists in every firehouse. I, I call it friction, but it's always there in, in some. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got two choices. We can accept it or we can figure out a way to minimize it. And so, you know, negate was probably not the best word. So now I use negotiate. So, so let's, let's get to the root of the problem. You know, or do you mm -hmm. feel like you're a victim from a promotional process or a transfer or station assignment? Or do you have something going on at home? Help me help you. And, and let's come to a consensus on where we can get you to buy in a little bit more, be a little happier working here, whatever the problem is. Let's, let's just, let's just figure out the root cause. So, so that's kind of where that that up progress to going from the, that to negotiate negativity. It's, it's tough because it's like, <laughs> for whatever reason, the, the way we were created, um, and I, I it's, it's not just firefighters, it's, it's humans and, and except for the anomalies, it's easier to agree with somebody being negative than it is to tell them why they're wrong. Or, yep. or maybe they're not wrong because it's their reality, but it's almost like the, uh, it's, it's magnetic, you know? And then it's like, yeah. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. It is. And, and that's where the most fun is. And we it's get human nature. Off. It is, it is. But, 
you know, you know it as well as I know it because you travel a lot and see a lot of people. You get asked that question a lot. What do I do about the guy who or the chief who or does does or does not? And so that's a very, very hot topic in the fire services, yeah. motivating the unmotivated, getting the people who don't want to train to train. And, and you know, we're not going to solve that problem. But I certainly think that, you know, part of that, that being functional is you gotta, you gotta figure out what's causing these problems. If you ever hope to get just a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. All right. Always alert. Yeah. And that, that's the whole situational awareness, the, 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 the you know, the, the full situational awareness of the little things, um, uh, versus the big things because the little things are what get us in trouble. So that's just an emphasis on situational awareness and maintaining that 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 awareness and, and understanding how little things can cause big, big problems. All right. I know you're gonna have a lot on this one. The leader's intent is clear. Yeah, and you know that's really something I, I, I didn't point that. It, it really comes from the wildland and the military mm-hmm. uh, arena. But, you know, I think roll call is the best time during the day to practice leadership. And, and I don't mean a formal roll call where you stand in front of the engine and salute and do all that. But, but it's the officer's chance to bring everybody together and let's check on them mentally, physically, our mechanical readiness and those. And, and let's kind of set the tone for the day and, and, and let, you know, let's refresh the mission and why we're here. And, and you know, we want to be the go to engine company in the city today. And, and so I think, you know, a lot of officers put expectations out there, but I, I don't think a lot of them really explain what their intent is. You know, leader's intent is truly, I'm going to tell you what the end result kind of looks like and how you get there is somewhat up to you. That's certainly a part of it. We got to be a little bit more in structure, but, but I think officers sometimes, chiefs all the way down, you know, company officers, we can do a better job of, of clarifying um, what this, this big picture kind of looks like, our vision, our our operational leadership philosophy. Every one of us has that. And and I mm-hmm. think when we can define it and communicate it in our intent, that just brings everybody more clarity and brings us a little closer together and starts to develop that product, a team. Yeah. And the uh, football teams do that twice during the game. They do it before the game. And I mean, there's some very prolific uh, things said about what they're going to do to the other team. And then, they come back at halftime and they make adjustments if the things didn't go and they get some more prolific statements and then they come back out there and make their adjustments. So it's uh, and, and it's just communication. They're That's not changing is. the strength. They're not changing the strength of one player or they, they're not changing the plays because they're set and they've been practiced. They're just communicating what the intent is and maybe you know, hey, changing maybe mindset a little, a little more bit. this way. Yeah. 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 But if we miss those opportunities, something's going to fill that gap or there's going to be that void. And, and I just think part of, of being functional, you know, if you define functional as it's designed and operate the way it's supposed to, you know, you, you ask a bunch of firefighters, what's a functional engine company? What's an engine company designed to do? And you'll get one or two or three things, but we don't dig real deep into it. So part of this is, is to take it to the next level and let's kind of define what our success looks like. I bet you could get a list of dysfunctional though, right off the cuff. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I got, right. yeah, I got a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Focus on the victim. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, 
I talk about defining success, and, and if you were to ask me, and, and this is this is this is extremely elementary, and I hope it doesn't disappoint you, our listeners, who who may have thought I had a little bit of a brain. But if we bring somebody into the organization or promote somebody and they're to ask, how do you define success? I, I do it in about 10 seconds. I start with that preparedness standard. Be mentally, physically, mechanical, procedure prepared to do five things. Take care of people, them and us. We say that first thing, that priority. So everybody coming into our organization, everybody in our organization knows that's the priority. Use all available resources to solve the problem. Manage risks inside and outside the firehouse maximize our operational capability and minimize the zero impact period, the time from when we set the park and break until we go to work. If we do those things, I'm happy. So it's just making sure that everybody in the organization understands that we are here to serve them. Now, we'll do all we can to protect you, but my philosophy on this, David, and, and, and some will disagree, I will do everything I can to prevent cancer. I will do everything I can to deal with the mental health challenges right up to the point it takes a second away from the people we're serving. That's where I draw the line. Right. All right. Inspirational. And those are those guys you like to be around, the go-to, right? When you're around them, you, you want to be like them. You, you, you want to be that role model fire company, that, that go-to guy on that company where, where other people just want to get out of their comfort zone and be a little bit better. You know, I, I, I call them in my program level three professionals. And it's, it's out of a book, mm -hmm. uh, going pro by, by Tony Kearns and a level three professional is one of those that's committed to continual improvement. And so that's kind of, kind of where I, I, I bring that back into functionality. Um, we're getting close to all good. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love them all, but risk are managed yeah. instead of avoided. <laughs> You know, add. we eliminated the word safe in our department and another thing we get beat up on. And, and we said, we're going to go full blown risk management philosophy. And, and Gordon Graham helped me with this chapter when I said, man, am I going to get crucified when I say we're mm -hmm. we're not using a word safe? But if you think about it, being safe is two dimensional. Do it. Don't do it. Wear it. Don't wear it. Go. Don't go. Right. And in, in, in a gray environment, we're never going to make a structure fire safe. We'll make it less dangerous. We'll make it safer. But let's take a risk management approach where we identify the risk, we prioritize the risk, and then we look at our capabilities and we base our aggression based on that, our, our level of aggression. And we use an acronym because the fire service doesn't have enough of them called SMART, Strategic Manage Aggressive Risk Regulated Tactics. And, and that's our model when we deploy. And so um, that's just kind of the, to, to get that mindset of, hey, Risk acceptance and risk avoidance hugely impacts a fire department's capabilities. If if I keep asking my community for more and more money to increase my capability, new fire trucks, more firefighters, and then my risk avoidance philosophy overrules, that's not a good return on investment. We're going back to value. Right. Let's just say we're in a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous job. Let's get that in our head and train and prepare to be the best at it. You know, I, I get a kick out of these these chiefs who, 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 who proclaim these safety cultures, yet they don't support training when it's one of the most, right. uh, most yeah, important. Yeah, because somebody things. might get hurt. Well, yeah, yeah, somebody's going to get hurt in training. <laughs> and, and so that just doesn't make sense to me in, in the job that we do. And so so that that's that's the, the to me, the to get us to think more of managing risk in terms of risk acceptance and risk avoidance than just saying operate safely at this structure fire which the definition right. of safe means without risk. 
Right. Yep. Totally agree. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know, when all that, when all that really got kicked off, I guess it's probably been maybe coming up on 20 years now yeah. that that sort of became the buzz and it was all checklist and, yeah. and acronyms uh, you know, and checklist. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it was like, it's like the safety officers looking to see if the chalk blocks are down. Meanwhile, there's like 16 guys in a house that's on fire. It's like, you need to be looking at the fire. <laughs> So <laughs> we can deal with that other stuff later. I don't want to drag this out, but again, and give you a little insight to something I'll talk about at the keynote. But think about this. Going back to Columbine and you think about how first responders to these active shooters. And it got to a point where the citizens, the community said, this is how you will respond to an active shooter. This risk avoidance model that's in place, it's not acceptable yeah. when our kids right. are being shot. So what's the catalyst? before the, the fire department's in that conversation. We're going to get so concerned about protecting ourselves that we neglect the people who pay for us to exist. That's a non-sustainable model. At some point, they're going to say, whoa, 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 you're costing us more and more and doing less and less. That's a bad investment. And now the stats with the rescue survey are yeah. so, showing us, you know, 70% survival rate if we get them out in the first four minutes. So yep we got to rethink some of this stuff and it's like, we're not, we're not going to be reckless, but, but maybe we got to get on the ball a little bit and move a little faster and, and think about, you know, we still got departments that don't, don't allow VES. We got departments that, you know, you got to have a water supply and, and six people there before you can break the threshold. And, and if, if the stats are telling us that, that we can have that impact and, you know, I even wrote about it. I'm like, Hey, yep. the cops going in there and polyester and pulling somebody out, but we got to do all these other things before we can set foot in there. It's like, Whoa, we're out of control. Priorities are we're, the mission's gone. You know, the mission has become avoidance. And, and that, that's unsustainable. Make, yeah. You can't make it safe enough. You know, I mean, I actually called 40 police chiefs, doing research for the book. And I said, send me your policy on police officers entering burning buildings. I got zero policies. And, and you know, could we see the day where cops are making more grabs than firefighters? Hey, if we, if yeah. we keep, if we keep finding more ways to keep ourselves out of burning buildings than going into them, I can see that happening. And, and they're certainly going to play up that, that, that public that publicity. Yep. All right. EMS proficient. That's our greatest opportunity to have control of the situation and make a good mark, right? They're, they're usually totally controllable. We're going to get called to those whether we want to do them or not. And, and I put that in there because I think that's, that's really our greatest opportunity to put our best foot forward. We're going to have bad days. And I always say the respect we earn on our good days will determine the forgiveness we get on our bad days. And mm -hmm. EMS goes a long way. If we go into an EMS call with a crappy attitude, and we leave with a crappy attitude and we have a bad fire event, that person's going to say, oh, that doesn't surprise me. They were at my house and they got a terrible attitude and they're a bunch of untrained morons. Or they're going to say, no, I don't think that's them. They just had a bad day and maybe they'll give mm -hmm. us a little grace. But but if, if we don't we don't take advantage of those easy, easy wins where we can have total control and look like rock stars, that could come back to bite us in the, in the butt. Right. And you got to be good at everything you're responsible for doing. There's no room for, you know, okay, because no. when it's time for you to perform, 
and you're the only you're the only chance and again back you're a problem solver so can you solve the problem with your knowledge skills and abilities in your team uh, and is there something you could right, have last, done to do it yeah go ahead yeah last two uh competent yeah and, and that just goes back to the training you know I, I refer to i have these c's that i refer to and it starts with commitment then goes to culture then goes to character and competence right and and those commitments those things and all success start out with those things being addressed so that's that's just the training component of saying you know we got to be competent in what we do and and we have to have confidence with that competence and 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 that's really what's going to determine the outcome you know one of the things that came out of the science whether you where you position on it is that um our our operational success is going to be heavily dependent on the coordination of our operations but to get that requires a lot of things and a big part of that is competence you know we have a very strict engine and truck deployment model in the colony it's very rare for a suburban city uh, we did that because of the type of buildings that we have so we allow our guys to really uh, get competent on, on doing we, we do all things but we have kind of guys that are really good at truck work and really good at engine work and and so when they you know we talked about anxiety and some of those they're they're not thrown into an, an anxiety state because they show up on an engine and they're getting ordered to a roof and they haven't been in the roof in five years and now they're like holy christmas and the fire yeah. service if they fail the, the first reaction is well they never should have been on the roof when in fact no we never should have put that crew on the roof because they weren't recently rehearsed yeah and it and they were up there for 20 minutes on a three minute job <laughs> all right the last right. one in that in this list is outstanding. Yeah, just Doesn't say so, perfect. It says outstanding. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I stole that from Terry Hatton, Rescue Company yeah. One. I, I met him when I, I I was riding with Pete, and you know, uh, he was known for his commitment to preparedness and and how he knew Captain of Rescue One, his commitment to knowing the 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 borough of Manhattan, and and so you know, today I think still today on the front of Rescue One is outstanding, which Terry always used to recognize a job well done by using that phrase, and so I just thought. You know, be that outstanding fire company, be that go-to company, the one where command looks over two or three companies and says, hey, Engine 22, I need you up here to solve this. And so that was just kind of a way to 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 um, uh, to, to fill it out and, and, and say, you know, be that that level. Don't be average. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite words, I think, because uh, I, I probably use it. I'll use it on a text. I'll use it on, I do you know, too. somebody tells you something yeah. and you're like, outstanding yeah. exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I just wanted to give credit to, you know, to remember, to remember Terry for his, his commitment. And I just thought that kind of wrapped up the, the, the mindset and the, the message. And so I, I threw it in there. That's awesome. All right. So everyone in the organization plays a role in success, but what is so special about the company officer? Man, to me, you know, that's that's the that's going to make or break the whole thing. It, it, it's going to it's going to make or break the whole thing. And, and it, you know, I'm not going to give any real original thought, but you're the person that has to make sense. You know, I'm a chief here who's thinking these things and, and all these things and some of it may be sensible, some of it not. And it gets passed down. But it's the, the company officer that's the practitioner. They're, they're the one that has to has to figure out what that looks like with a three, four, five, six man work group, that small group. And and so, you know, to me, the, the, our, our success is heavily, heavily dependent on the company officer. Now, we don't do a good job of preparing them, 
individual organizations. That's all another conversation. But I mean, I think we need to invest heavily in that position. We need to support them. Uh, we need to have processes that pick the best person and, and, and not necessarily the, the fairs because it is such a heavily responsible position. I mean, as a fire chief, I'm putting them in charge of other people's lives and, and that's a huge thing. And so, um, it's just, it's just such a vital, vital part of our, our success and, and, and a lot of times our failures that, that I, I think we don't do a good enough job of number one recognizing the influence that they have, but also developing them to be um, all that they can be and take care of the people that we put in their charge. What What are some of the things you do to set them up for success? Well, I th- I think a process uh, prior to promotion. You know, one of my concerns, my big concerns today is that if you're a motivated firefighter, you can go somewhere in this country almost any week of the year and be influenced by some of the best and the brightest. You know, Sammy Hiddle teaching forcible entry or wherever you want to go. Um, And and if if the company officer doesn't stay engaged in that, if if they don't remain relevant, then they're going to lose the house. There's going to be a respect issue. And there's going to, going to be so I think you got to keep them at the forefront of being engaged, giving them opportunities uh, to learn, uh, to to be able to bring something to the company, help them stay relevant, help them feel confident in their leadership and supervisory. Give them the tools that they need where they can sit down with the men and women in their organization and define what success looks like and help them articulate their intent as a leader. All those things are little things we can do. They don't cost any money. It's just an investment. And we can do a better job here in the colony. We do, we do something called a captain's camp uh, where we bring them in and, and we try, you know, we have mentoring processes and we try to give them something we call the excellent vision and professional standards. So we try to give them as many tools as, as we can to help them be leaders and supervisors. We can do a lot better, but that's kind of, you know, I, I think we got to invest in them before we put them on the truck. And, and and not start doing it then. You know, I always ask, if you ask, you know, 100 people, are your fire chiefs, are your people the most valuable asset in your organization? They would all say, yes, I would expect them to. But then you say, how much time do you spend specking your fire apparatus? And they'll say hundreds and hundreds of hours. And then you ask, how much time do you spend developing the officers that are going to ride on it? Five hours. So, well, that's, so that's, up to, that's up to them. Yeah, that, that's up to them, right? So I always say we're putting commercial officers in custom cabs. And, and so our, our culture really values the stuff we buy more than the, the people. And so that's something that in the next however many years I have left in the colony, now that we're done growing, I really want to find a way to invest in that that level of leadership, the company officer. And we give a lot of clap to our senior men and women. I think they're very influential, too, in the firehouse. So how, how can we invest in those people? and help them feel a little bit more comfortable and, and help remain relevant. We're both, we, we kind of came up pretty similar paths, like, you know, good mentors and mm-hmm. we started instructing pretty early in our careers and being part of different teams and stuff. And so we're both, uh, you know, big on training and we've taught all over the place with different groups and organizations. And you talk about training essentials in the organization, where do you see a lot of departments missing the mark on training? Just making it a priority. 
it, it's a it's truly a checklist. It's it's get your four hours a month or whatever you need a month. And, and I always say uh, focus on quality training and not quantity training. And I, I think that's very important. You know, I would much rather the men and women in my organization go out and spend 45 minutes of quality training um, where there's some deliberate practice, purposeful practice, than four hours of naive practice where we're just going out and moving just to say we're training. So I, I think that it's a simple answer to that question. We just don't we don't give it the priority that it deserves. Everything comes back to training. It, it's like the you know, it, it, what is it? The, the, the it's three degrees or six degrees of Kevin Bay. Everything comes back to training in, in some yeah. sense or form. And so I just think we need to make it a higher priority. It's it's a top priority in our organization. I mean, very few things take priority over. And that includes all the silly administrative appointments we come up with and meetings mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. We mm -hmm. always try to give the companies ample time to get the training in, even on their busy days, we want them to spend a little time training. But the culture has so to value it. Right, right. It and I noticed like a lot of the training academy staffs are so bogged down, especially the, the larger departments, because they have full-time recruit schools. So they got anywhere from, you know, one dedicated to a dozen people dedicated to recruit training, and that never stops. Then you usually have EMS research, mm -hmm. which is another one. And then you have all your four or five uh, HR required yearly classes that are going on. And by the time your staff gets all of those done and the rotations, you know, it's just to do the four hour uh, hazmat refresher is about a three and a half month process to rotate yeah. everybody through. And department. at the end, yeah. And yeah, and, and at the end, you're only at 70% because of all the vacation and off time and you never really get it all. But it seems that those academies are not like that's not where the innovative and and attractive training takes place. It's with the company officer in the in the station or in a multi company, you know, in a battalion or or whatever with some of the people who are out in in going to other places and seeing things and bringing things back. It's that vacant house that they stop off and, you know, run a scenario in and, and things like that. But a lot of people avoid doing that. And it's, and it, you're, you're right. It's a, it's, it's a priority thing. We and then having the skill and you got to have the skill people to, um, you know, to do it. You got to be creative and, and innovative and, and make it happen. All right. So once you get a lot of these things for the functional fire company and you're, you're like clicking on all cylinders, um, you got to coach the team. You got to coach the team. So how do you, how do you coach a functional fire company? Well, you know, that's something they right now, I'll be honest with you. We've been doing this for 15 years now. And, and I've, I've said all along, I don't know how, how long this is sustainable. And I really don't, I, I don't know who to look to, to, to answer that question. Um, are we asking too much of our people? Are we pushing too hard? Or, you know, generations come in. So I think, you know, to me, coaching is a day to day thing. And, and when I tell you that myself, my uh, assistant chiefs, my division chiefs, we sit down every morning, we sit at the table and it's time well spent. And, and we talk about what do we need to do for the colony fire department today? And we're never, we're never too busy for that. 
And, and mm-hmm. maybe there's a problem that popped up. Maybe we see something or maybe we're just saying, what is what does the future look like? So that coaching thing, it's it's just like anything else. It's it's keeping, you know, the football team motivated in the offseason when they're in the weight room and they're doing the things that they don't want to do. They're embracing the suck. Um, and I have three battalion chiefs that are very, very good, very, very good at keeping the vision out there, the mission out there, our purpose, putting that out in the forefront to help keep our, our guys motivated. And I can tell you, after 15 years of doing this, a lot of stuff happens now in the firehouses without anybody asking them to. I mean, we train now because the men and women see the value in training. In other words, they train because they know their success and survival depends on it, not because the fire chief wants four hours of training done a month. And so they've taken great ownership of that. So that's kind of the coaching things, giving them the tools, the technique. You know, if, if they're not sure how to do something, let's help them figure that out. So when they, they go in front of their men, they're comfortable and confident in doing it. And that's just another level of investment. Absolutely. So what do you what do you want people to take away? What do you want to be the big takeaway from this book? The possibilities, the potential, you know, don't strive to be average. Uh, Your people deserve better than that. And so here are just a few things based on my experiences working with some really good leaders in some great departments that have worked. And and just, just open up your mind a little bit and consider, you know, if not this, what? If you've got something better, that's great. But if you don't have it, here it is. You know, we talk about the training season and the, the colony project and all these things, these little exercises that you can do to stimulate some of that thought process and to start to gain buy in and just just little tools and tricks of, th- you know, nobody is going to going to find 100 percent of that applicable. You know, fighting fire is local, right. but maybe there's something there to help kickstart your training program or, or to some things to include in an officer development program. Um, just getting you out of your comfort zone and saying, hey, there's some other ways. Look at this. Think about it. If it works, use it. If not, find something else. Yep. And again, it's it's applicable to the individual. If the individual has, reads the book, there's something in there that can make that person functional. If they're looking to, to up their game, there's something for the company officer. If maybe the department's not supportive of anything, but you control your four walls for that time period and you can make your company, your shift functional. And then it's very strategic and and can help a fire chief uh, evaluate their own, their own organization and, or or a battalion chief. I mean, it just trickles all the way up. It could be any level, any level. I always love it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I always, I think one of the most gratifying things is, is when I, I see a department that says, hey, we implemented this and it's really working well in the book or, or we took this and we modified it and it's working really mm-hmm. well. That that to me is, you know, I, I still kind of look at the fire service as a little bit of a frontier. We all share a yeah. common mission, but we, we can't agree on one way to do it. And I don't, mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing. And, and I, there, there is not one perfect way, but there's, we can, we can, we can make that toolbox a little smaller, you know, and get a little bit better at, at the tools that we know work. And and so, you know, that that's kind of what I hope somebody would take out of it. You know, I've learned a lot of things since I, I wrote the book. I, I I'm still convicted to a lot of the thoughts, but I've changed my mind on a few things. And and I just, you know, 
I just wanted to put my experiences out there and and hope somebody else. I always say I'm not I'm not trying to speak to the fire chiefs that are chiefs today. I'm hope I I hope I'm appealing to the future fire chief, the one that could come in and and really define that culture and set set it up where there's two way trust and you know I can't fix what is there. I can only help position people for getting into those roles and starting off with hopefully some some positive encouragement, some coaching, and some mentoring. You know, you said uh, it makes you feel good when somebody says, hey, we took a piece mm-hmm. of, out of the book and we modified it a little bit. Um, my buddy that lives out there near you now, Phil Chauvin, yeah. who was an incident command guru, he would always tell us, he's like, hey, if you – when this we were on the incident management team for the state, he'd say, if you see somebody with an IEP printed and there's no notes on it and it's not folded, they have no clue what they're doing. He goes, because as soon as it's printed, he goes, changes have to start being made. Like somebody's gotten sick or you've had to move this person over to this task mm-hmm. force or what have you. And he said, that thing should have a million notes and maps and everything else drawn on it. And he goes, that's how you know it's a good system and you, and you got a good player. So it is, yeah. you, you know, somebody takes something exactly the way it's, it's written. Then you almost say, well, it's sort of been forced then and it's it's kind of fake in a way so you want it to be you want it to be the philosophy not the exact exact tactic for those of you who might not have heard uh scott's been asked and he accepted the invitation to be the wednesday keynote speaker at fdic this year in april so we hope you'll join us and come listen to scott's keynote and also attend uh his workshop on this very subject the functional fire company will be Monday, April 15th. Uh, that'll be in the morning session, 8 to 12. So he'll be there. Scott, any final thoughts on the Functional Fire Company? No, just uh, thanks for having me on. And, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help anybody who takes interest in it. And, uh, you know, anything I can I can help you with. I'm always trying to mentor eight or, eight or nine or ten people at one time around the country. And that's kind of my limit. But uh, anything I can do to help out, please feel free to reach out. Uh, you can email me at scott at fireserviceleadership.com if, if I can help you figure something out in a book that maybe doesn't make sense. But uh, thanks for having me on and thanks for the huge support that FDIC and Fire Engineer and Clarence always always showing me. And, and uh, I just uh, I love the ride, man. It's been a tremendous adventure. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, <laughs> to getting to Indy and, and hearing you talk. Um, <laughs> all right. It's the Functional Fire Company by Jay Scott. <laughs> thompson and uh you can pick it up at fireengineeringbooks.com scott thanks for taking the time to be on the show today uh i know you're very busy so it means a lot (laughs) that you'd sit down with us and uh on behalf of everyone at fire engineering books i'm david rhodes and this one is in the books 